Okay. Um, welcome. We're here to talk about um, the COVID-19 virus and the effect on the COVID-19 virus on a divorce case. What do you do if you're divorcing during a stay-at-home order, during a lockdown, and during this crisis? We've been presented with some very unique challenges. I'm here uh, with uh, two uh, great colleagues that I, I collaborate with quite a bit. My name is Sean Weber. I'm an attorney and mediator, and I've been practicing family law for the last 20 years, and uh, very happy to help folks through this process uh, with mediation. And Mark, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. I am Mark Hill. Uh, I'm a financial guy. I'm a certified financial planner, certified divorce financial analyst, and my firm uh, basically specialize in financial divorce consulting. And Scott. Hello, my name is Scott Weiner. I'm a psychologist and an attorney. Uh, I've been practicing for about 40 years. And I bumped into Sean Weber at a most interesting event. And I was getting some hours. And lo and behold, I've become very involved doing mediation. And I've worked with both of these gentlemen, and they're quite wonderful. And, and the feelings mutual about all all of you guys. Uh, I think the three of us have worked on a number of cases together. And uh, one of the great things that we like to do is to help folks get through difficult divorce situations collaboratively, which means we work as a team of professionals to help people resolve their disputes without having to go to court. And we also mediate um, and and help people in any way we can to avoid the you know the heartache that people have at court. I always say we we try to get people divorced without destroying their nest egg and without just just screwing up their kids, which is what can happen if you end up in a courthouse situation. So, um, given the uh, COVID nineteen crisis, there's we're presented with some kind of unique challenges, and all three of us have kind of experienced some things that um, on cases that we're working together and cases that we're working apart that have kind of color our view on how we practice uh, during this crisis and just wanted to kind of share some of those ideas and thoughts with uh, our audience here. Um, the really important thing is we have this forum. This is uh, we're doing a conference call here, video conference, and we can actually, you know, the courts are closed uh, in at least in our county and, you know, you can't go to court to get relief if there's a problem but we still practice and we can still meet, even if we can't meet with people in person, we can meet via video conference. And uh, we've had, uh, each of us have had experiences during this past week where we've had very effective meetings with clients uh, via video conference. And so your case doesn't need to stop just because the courts are closed. And you know, I'm amazed, Sean, how efficient it is. I was something of a reluctant, um, participant when we got shut down last week, but uh, having worked on cases this week, I'm just amazed how efficient it is, and I'm a convert. as well. We like to do, you know, therapists like to work face-to-face -face with people, but um, I've been doing this now. This is a new, t new thing for me, but it really works well. So the reason, guys, that you have the three of us here is because we believe that there are three aspects to every single divorce. Legal, it's a legal contract. The state was there at the start of the marriage. It needs to be there at the dissolution. Psychological, this is a personal relationship and you're ending it or you're reforming it or you're creating a new type of relationship. And of course, it's probably the biggest financial transaction of your life. 
So we feel that each of the resources you see on the screen in front of you are very important in this process. That's absolutely true. And, and, and even when it's not a crisis, having three professionals look at it from the legal, the, the, the emotional, and the financial really helps. I mean, I don't know, what you're, but I've found that my cases don't typically settle very well until um, all three of those aspects on the case have been solved. So um, I want to talk about, you know, the, the most obvious problem when you have a stay-at-home order is what do we do, guys, if um, you have a couple that are estranged from one another but are still living in the same house, and now, because of the crisis, they're having to live in the same house and be together, or at least be together in the house all the time. What, what and does together that? with their kids, which may... And their children, them. yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 tough. I mean, I've got I've got four teenagers at home right now, and that's already challenging anyway. But you add a, you know, a partial quarantine to the mix, and people get anxious, people get stir crazy, and when you have a divorce situation, it's already trying enough. But now lock everybody in a house for a while with no real understanding of when we're going to be let out. That I mean, if yeah, we knew. Yeah, if we knew what our sentence was, it might be easier to, to tolerate it, but we just don't know. Scott, how do we handle this? <laughs> well, save us. How do we? Yeah, right, exactly. And I, I think that it's interesting, jokingly, you say save us, and that these people are trying to save themselves in, in, you know, in most of these instances from, uh, from the kinds of pressures that being in an untenable marriage is just, you know, has brought upon them, then all of a sudden, you know, the quarantine situation hits. Now, here we are in Southern California, you know, quarantine, as I think we've talked about, it's like, I see more people out with their families walking their dogs and doing this. But if this thing hits harder, and we start to see, you know, a huge fall, and you know, or a rise, that is to say, in, uh, in infections, you know, the stress, the irritation, and the anger that just accompanies just about any divorce is going to be multiplied. It's like uh, cooking with a pressure cooker. What's that current thing that everybody's using? Ah, instant pot or something like that. It's like you're forcing people to, in a sense, really be married. And there's going to be no comforting escape, no getting away. Um Kids are around absorbing all of whatever's going on. Some kinds of structure can help people. It can. It doesn't work for everybody. But having some kinds of predictability of when you're going to talk about what takes some self-control. Um, people in divorce are often, you know, just being exceedingly emotional, which makes all the sense in the world. But, you know, some kinds of structures... I mean, with the issues that you two are specialists in, you know, those are going to be the subjects of the discussion. So, well, and what, what worries me about some of these cases, you know, the, I did say the courts are closed, but what are not closed, at least in San Diego County, is the domestic violence unit. And so, what worries me sometimes is if people are, you talked about a pressure cooker, if the pressure cooker makes it such that somebody, gets angry and throws a hairbrush across the room or knocks a chair over or gets actually does get violent. Um, 
then it's a whole new ball of wax and people can go to the court and get it to a restraining order or a kickout order. And then what do you do? You're now somebody's kicked out while there's a viral crisis happening. How does that work and how does that help the family? And it doesn't. So anything you can do to, to manage your emotional responses during this crisis, I imagine Scott would be really important. And so these, uh, these strategies I think are important. We have so little experience with this. Um, you know, even the health crises that have hit, you know, in, 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 in my lifetime, well, I mean, I, I, I grew up at the end of polio, mm. but I mean, I didn't get to see any of that. Um, I think we have to go back to 1918 in the United States before we, you know, when we really had a, the influenza crisis, you know, killed so many people. But for now, um, you're blindsided by quarantine. Okay. Um, what are you going to do with the irritations and angers, especially of a divorce? Um, I, the first thing is I, you probably need to quarantine yourself in your home to some extent. You need to have some degree of separation. You guys were talking about it actually earlier. Um, you know, social distance in the marriage, you know. Yeah. That's a great something I've thought about is, you know, do you need social distancing rules within your household from your spouse? Would it be helpful? You know, most people, when they're going through divorce, if they're still cohabiting, do not spend a lot of time together. They come and go. They kind of tend to develop a new normal around that. And this kind of disrupts anything that they had been doing. So I think you're right. I think having some rules you can agree to is kind of a good idea. I, I also think that having some topics that may be <laughs> forbidden or something you don't want to talk about might be a good idea. If you fight every time you have a conversation about the mother-in-law, then don't talk about the mother-in-law. I mean, let's keep it off the table. Um, so I think that if you are able to work together as a divorcing couple, if you can co-parent together, that's encouraging because it means you have had to communicate around that. Um, I think that if you could then move that over to a conversation where, you know, let's talk about these things and let's leave this off the table till this situation resolves, some might be helpful. Yeah, and I think that's, <clears throat> that's really important. I, I, mean, I mean, people hire us to help them resolve their differences and to resolve disputes. We're professional dispute resolvers. And most folks don't have the training to resolve their own disputes in an effective way. Some can, some do surprisingly well, but some folks really struggle. And when you're in the, when you're in the middle of a divorce, we get it, things weren't unicorns and rainbows. There's a reason why we're here and you're getting divorced in the first place. It's not because you got along smashingly. And so give yourself a break. You don't have to necessarily talk about the divorce while you're in the house together. And I think what happens with a lot of couples is they just always want to talk about the elephant in the room. But sometimes it's okay to just let the elephant be there and not talk about him. And, and um, if there's a, a particular subject that, that causes a tremendous amount of stress or causes the blood pressure to go up, and people can feel it, they can just feel it in their body, when that adrenaline kicks in, if that's happening, that's probably a subject to say, okay, you know what, we're going to stop this conversation and uh, let's get on the, let's get on the conference call with our mediator and see if we can't resolve this issue that way instead of trying to do it ourselves. 
Sean, I had a question, a specific legal question that was brought up to me yesterday, actually, yeah. uh, from a, an ex-client is how, how do they do the um, exchange of children? It was a difficult divorce. They have a very specific schedule, but if they're not supposed to go out and what if they're concerned that perhaps their spouse is not using the same precautions that they are and are concerned for their children? What, what do you do about that at this time? And that's come up in a lot of cases. I've had people ask me that question because you may have, like you mentioned, you may have people that disagree about what level of self-quarantine we should be imposing on ourselves and on our children. Um, you know, I think the court is going to look very dimly on folks that withhold children when there's a parenting schedule in place. Um, over some of these issues, I think it's going to, it's not going to go well for them when they go back to the courthouse, if it ends up getting that far. So what you have to do is kind of understand, uh, each of the parents are probably going to have different parenting styles, which means they're going to have different reactions to the coronavirus. And you have to give each other room for that. Now I say that with a little bit of caution, because if you're worried that this is an existential threat to your family, um, the chances are good that you're going to be more emotionally reactive when somebody does something that you think is not safe. And so there, there is definitely a kind of a balance there of, of, of being safe, but not being, for lack of a better word, kind of hysterical about it, catastrophizing about it, but to just kind of keep some perspective. But the, the thing is, while the courts are closed, there's nothing you can do legally to stop the, the visitation from happening. And if you engage in self-help and try to withhold a child because of something you perceive as, you know, they don't use enough Lysol in the house or they went to the supermarket, um, that won't go well for you if, if a judge gets a hold of it after the fact. The judges only let people engage in self-help when there's like blood on the floor. Somebody's really seriously going to die or be permanently injured now because of a particular activity. And that's tough for some people to, to, to be okay with. Scott, you look like you're gonna say something. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're, in a, we're in a new, uh, kind of a new uh, brave, <laughs> brave new world situation here right now though. I'm, here's what a mediator might be able to help somebody with. Yeah, thanks. Almost a matter of the rhetoric itself. If, if I say to you, I'm keeping the kids because Sean, I know you're just cavalier and couldn't give a damn about this and you're out partying and stuff. But if I say to you, could we make a temporary agreement that for the next couple of weeks, we're going, so using phrases of limitation, which is what mediators will do, um, trying to not, not exert control and authority over the other person, but offer an opportunity to, you know, find a safe line. I'm just concerned for the kids. I'm not, I'm not saying you're a this or you're a that. I'm saying, I just want to protect the children. We don't really know yet how dangerous this thing is, which is really true. We don't know if it's dangerous for some people and not others, which we suspect is true, but don't know. These kinds of ways of discussing these things are things that a mediator could help you. And I, I think this line of discussion would be a mistake. Do not, when your kids come back from the other person's house, it's not a good idea to interrogate them about the protocols 
you know, the coronavirus protocols at the other person's home. Um, the other thing is um, you should not be telling your kids, oh, I'm very nervous about you going over there because your dad isn't very careful about the coronavirus and doesn't use enough hand sanitizer or whatever it is. You know, you, 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 that will cause a lot of problems legally for you. And it also makes it very difficult to co-parent when your kids are put in the middle of, of a dispute between the parents. Even if you feel like you have good grounds for your dispute, it's just not the right forum to use your children for that. And I think the temptation would be because you're locked in a house with folks, the temptation would be to want to involve the people around you and what's causing you stress. That was, that happens <laughs> regardless of coronavirus, people are using their right? to split, but um, there is a better way to do that, which is to say, even if you told your person that you're divorcing from, your, your, your current spouse, even if you tell them, it's tempting to ask little Freddie what's going on over there, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to ask you, please, please go this far. Please go this far. And, you know, exhort them to do what it is you think you need them to do and try not to use the children. Yeah. So there's one aspect of this that I'm hearing a lot about that we haven't talked about yet, which is the financial stress. I mean, divorce is financially stressful anyway, because two households cost more than once. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, now we've got people at home watching TV, watching the numbers on the coronavirus, watching the markets go up 2,000 points one day, down 2,000 points the next day. And that sort of anxiety for folks who already are anxious and worried about money um, is something that I'm seeing a lot with existing cases where the clients are just freaking out. Scott, what can they do to, to kind of allay, I won't say allay those fears, but perhaps to be realistic about them or condition that response a little bit? You said being realistic. And I mean, that I, I feel a duty to be honest here. Yeah. Um, I find this financially very frightening and I'm not getting divorced. My wife hasn't yet seemed to figure out the error. <laughs> um, but I find it really frightening financially. I'm, I'm 70, you know, I'm, I still work, but you know, I've watched my, my savings dwindle largely. I'll tell you what people who are smarter than I am have said, watch out for impulsive financial decisions. Watch out for that. It's really tempting. Um, unless you're a senator who just happens to have great inside information early, which we had a couple of those. Um, you know, we chart the uh, we chart the markets over a period like since 1918. It just you know it'll come back. So be careful. But sitting home in front of your computer uh, does incline people to shop. Um, be careful. Now, we're talking about divorce, too. What can these people do who are in the midst of this? I mean, when you're in the midst of deciding how to divide property, um, I would argue for um, temporarily not trying to pay things off, temporarily not trying to over-control how the other person is spending money, maybe making decisions together, saying maybe agreements to pay minimums on cards or, you know, I mean, 
Are there going to be people who are going to try to clean out accounts on the other person? That happens in any divorces anyway. Um, dispute fairly. Hmm. You don't have to bring it to your mediator, but if you do, you know, that, that's one way to fly. Another way to fly is to um, make peaceable temporary decisions. Beyond yeah, that, I think I, I haven't been in these trenches before. You know, I, I, one thing that I've tried to tell clients is that um, what I've noticed is that a number of my cases have become much more engaged and <laughs> involved in the last two weeks while they haven't had any, haven't been able to go to work, haven't been able to distract from things. So they are actually more focused on it, which means that cases are moving fairly quickly to my surprise under this new environment. But what I'm telling people around the money is, look, we couldn't do anything about it right now anyway. And we don't know. So back to our conversation about do people catastrophize these things or do are they overly optimistic? We, as Scott, you said it three or four times. We just don't know with this virus and we don't know what the markets are going to do. And we don't know what it's going to do to employment. So is it reasonable to be concerned about it? Absolutely. But there's very little we can do about it right now. And I agree with you making impulsive decisions I think it has two bad consequences. Potentially, it could just be a bad decision and you sell everything at the bottom or you know, you buy on a bounce and it goes down again. That's, that's certainly something you could do, but it could also will increase the, the stress and the hostility within the marriage. If you make a financial decision and say, hey, I always ran the account, so this is not outside the normal practice of business, but that trade goes bad, that's not going to help you in the divorce is my experience. I, I think there's some really good points there. And that is that um, it, it, you only have so much control. And this is the case with any divorce, really, even if there's not a crisis. And that is what can you control? And frankly, you can't control anything that your spouse does. You can try, but how well did that work during the marriage? Probably didn't go very well when you try to control the other person. The only person in this equation that you can really control is yourself. And, and your own reactions to things. And so just kind of being mindful, being aware of what your own emotional responses are, kind of self-regulating, and then not being so uptight about what the other person does is a really kind of a freeing kind of a thing as well. But now we have some things that we really are even beyond our family that we control. And that is, well, what, like you said, what are the markets going to do? Is the coronavirus going to sweep through and kill everybody or not? Uh, what is the president going to do? What is the governor going to do? I don't know. And, and it's okay. You know, it's just, okay. this will pass. <laughs> okay. I would ask the two of you, the, the law master and the finance master, so many times doing these collaborative cases and doing mediation work, we see a couple in which, as Mark said earlier, one person really is in charge of the finances and has you know, has the real access and the real knowledge. And um, what is how is the court going to look at that mm -hmm. if during a period of time like this that person avails themselves of that you know that you know extra access? What's mm -hmm. you know, are there are there going to be new levels of penalty or new levels of uh, redistribution? For example, what happens if wife comes to husband who manages the money and says, market's going to collapse, sell everything, and he goes, I don't think so. 
<laughs> and the market does collapse. Say this conversation happened a month ago. You know, you know there's a saying from jurisprudence in law school. I can't remember the case that it came from. I think it was from Judge. I don't want to quote the judge because I'll probably get it wrong. But the point was the the the, the average person is no swaggering hero. You know, we're we're only going to be assuming that you have a you know a, a, a reasonableness. Now there is the issue of fiduciary duty in the state of California, at least, and that is that the spouses and how they manage and control financial assets owe a fiduciary duty to the other party, similar to the duties that are owed between business partners. But what's interesting about that is, is there's that duty of how you manage and control the money and, and being reasonable, but you're not held to the standard of a prudent investor. So, you know, Mark, is when you were doing financial planning, you were held to a pretty high standard, weren't you? When you yes. Invest yeah, the prudent thing. investor rule, it, it actually replaced an old rule called the prudent man rule, which meant you had to invest in government bonds, essentially. And they changed it so you had to be diversified. So it requires you to have all sorts of different things. Yeah. So those rules, while they're wonderful for financial planners and we want them to be ruled that way, um, um, they don't apply to the same level it does between parties. But let's say, you know, I had a case years ago. It, it was the, the Cedar Fire. You guys remember the Cedar Fire here in San Diego where there were fires and people were running from their homes. And I had a guy, he, he was sure that the fires were coming to his house on the coast in La Jolla. And he cut down all of the Torrey Pines trees on his yard because he was afraid that the fires were going to come and the pine trees were going to aid the fire in reaching his home and he had to pay some substantial money for the damage to those trees yeah that, because that was a breach of his fiduciary duty that was beyond reasonable but had he made a mistake in investing during a financial crisis probably not the same level but what i would say is is if you're especially if you have an active divorce case and you already have the summons and petition filed and remember on the back of the summons are the standard uh, restraining orders where people can't do things outside of the ordinary course of business with their money unless they both agree. So I always tell my clients in non-crisis times, and it's probably doubly so in crisis times, talk to the other person and get their permission in writing before you do something that's outside of the ordinary and then keep really good I, records. I absolutely agree. And I would endorse that. You know, but if yeah, I, I these are really, you know, we're not going to hold people, to, they're not going to be swaggering heroes, but we want them to be reasonable and we want them to work together. And that's what the courts would impose on people. And so often, guys, that couples get bogged down in this. And what we want them to take away from this um, little video we're doing is that resources exist for you even today. If you're stuck around a financial or a legal or an emotional issue and you are in the process of divorce or considering divorce or think that's the road you're going down, um, you can reach out to us and we are available. And um, one thing we're all very good at is if you ask me a legal question, I'm not going to answer it because I don't want to be accused of the unauthorized practice of law. Uh, in the same way that um, Sean will defer if there's a financial question that he thinks I can answer better. So we work as good teams. And even though we all do end up sounding a bit like psychologists when we work in this, in this field, uh, I am not qualified. And when we come to these emotional issues, I lean on people like Scott 
to help my clients have the tools they need to get through this very difficult process. And that's even more important at this okay. time. <laughs> Frankly, you guys are pretty good. I must say, I must say. <laughs> well, I always say, and I, I've heard, I've told you guys this before, but I always say therapy, you know, when you're meeting with your therapist, that's about difficult feelings usually, right? But mediation is about difficult decisions. And when you're in this time of uncertainty, we understand that it's very difficult to make important decisions. And we would like to invite our audience that to know that, that mediation is available, collaborative law is available as a way to make some difficult decisions. And we can certainly help folks with that. So um, Scott, if somebody was gonna get a hold of you, how would they, how would they get a hold of you to schedule a mediation or something similar? They would pick up their cell phone and they still work and dial 619-417-5743. I answer my own phone. I don't have it go to a service or an office or anything like that. And then I'm uh, available via email, Scott Weiner, S-C-O-T-T-W-E-I-N-E-R and the letters J-D-P-S-Y at Gmail and I will respond to you. I'll do a free consultation. I'm actually making phone calls to the people that I've worked with you know, over a period of time now, just checking in on them, making sure people are basically all right. So far, so good. Very good. And Mark, how would they get a hold of you? Best thing with me is to go to my company's website, Pacific Divorce Management. Uh, it's pacdivorce.com, P-A-C-D-I-V-O-R-C-E.com. All our contact data is on there and our phones work. They ring here at the house. So, uh, um, and so does our email. So please get in touch if we can help in any way. And uh, again, my name is Sean Weber. I can be reached at 858-410-0144. My website is weberdisputeresolution.com. There's a lot of information about me and my approach there. And you can send an email to me from there if you'd like. Um, and I also it can be found on Twitter and Facebook at WeberFamLaw.com, WeberFamLaw.com. Sorry, let me rephrase that, at WeberFamLaw, no .com. <laughs> we try so hard to modernize ourselves. Too many addresses. and but I, we, I send like everybody to the website. The website's good, yeah, WeberDisputeResolution.com. <laughs> you will, right, guys. Well, it was a very nice talking to you. I'm going to sign off with our audience. Thanks for uh, listening to us. And uh, hopefully you got something good out of this. And, and we stand ready to help. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.